Today's episode contains explicit language and conversations around sex, human anatomy, menstruation, and personal experiences. We advise that you don't listen to this in the company of little ones or anyone who may be uncomfortable with these topics. Hey, sugars, come on in and take a seat. You're listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast about sex, health, and thriving. I'm your host, B. Dixon, co-founder and CEO of The Honey Pot Company. And I'm your other host, Javon Alfieri, The Honey Pot's director of digital. Ooh, now let's dig in. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Honey Potluck. Hi, Gigi. Hi. So we're talking about kink today, which is like one of my favorite four-letter words. I, I'm glad you're not scared of it because full transparency, I was a little like, I don't know what this means. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what is there to be afraid of? Oh, the term derives from the idea of a bend in one's sexual behavior to contrast such behavior with quote-unquote straight or quote-unquote vanilla sexual mores and proclivities. Man, humans in our words, right? So, Gigi, you had this conversation on your own. I don't remember what I was doing that day. But, like, you set this up. So, like, what made you what made you want to go here? What, what was on your mind, man? Well, first of all, I was kind of a fangirl of Janet Hardy and her partner that she wrote The Ethical Slut with because I had heard it thrown around in numerous forums and in conversations about people exploring ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. And I was like, someone wrote a book on that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And also, I think I just admired the, like, forthrightness of calling some, like, reclaiming the word slut, frankly. I just kind of, like, love that word in a weird way. And so for me, I was just fascinated by all of the tenants and then knowing that they're Harvard professors and, you know, both queer and had kind of like carved out this very academic, cultural point of view. And then Erica is just such a dynamic person. But coming back to like my personal rationale for this is, as you know, sadly, (laughs) much of my dating life has been sequestered to dating apps, um, which is like Mm. my least favorite forum to be in. But hello, modern world. Like this is what we've got. And I kid you not, every single freaking profile is ENM. I'm in an ENM, open, but or partnered, but open. And I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I am yeah, here, yeah. you know, searching for partnership, um, you know, a heteronormative dynamic, or I'm just looking for someone to like pay attention to me. And I think for me, if I'm being honest, I projected a lot of my perspective on men towards it in that for me, it feels like men have this other excuse to not be committed in a way, right? Mm, mm -hmm. But then what I realized is that different strokes, man. Like, who am I to say, you know? And so for me, I wanted to explore, like, what is this whole thing? Why do people feel like they need labels? They need this. They need Mm -hmm. that. Like, why do they get to be on these dating apps, let's just say? And then the other facet for me is, like, similarly with these kind of prescriptions is, like, Why do you have to tell people from the get that you are into kinks or kinky? Because my idea or what I had always thought about kink was like, 
if I'm down with that person, it's there might be a great likelihood that I would explore, right, any number of things. But when you tell me that there's a threat, like, you know, I'm like, nah, that's not me. Sorry. It's like coming in too hot. Let's just see. Let's just see how we do, you know? Correct. Tell me what you yeah. like. Just, don't just say blanketed kink. Like, tell me what mm-hmm. you like, and then maybe I'm down. Maybe I've actually done it before. Who knows, right? Also, you just don't know what you're going to like with somebody. Like, it, especially if you're in a polyamorous situation, you may get from one person something that you don't get from the other. And it's weird to just lead a conversation with what you're doing. I mean, and don't make me wrong. Don't make me wrong. For some people, that's not weird. But I'm in your camp, right? Like, me and you are very similar. Like, let's just figure it out. Let's just, like, what do you, what's your fucking name, first of all? <laughs> like, who are you? You know, everybody just calm down. And, and, and to your point, I mean, I think we do have this similarity. Like, and, and perhaps this is, like, a personal privilege or something. But, like, I've never had to walk around and be like, I am this label, this label, this label. Mm -mm. And there is no flexibility in this label, this label, and this label. And so to me, when I'm seeing it, I'm like, oh, this dude is cute. Like, I could do any number of things. But then I'm like, oh, he's this label, this label, this label. I'm like, nah, not happening. Right. I think that that was really like the hypothesis, or rather the question that I was trying to unearth with two experts who understand this space and moreover perceive this space as a culture and a community, not just as like a sexual preference or identity. And that was really the crux of the question that I had. Mm. Well, I'm excited to um, get into it. Yeah, you'll get to listen. There will be some nuggets. And I'm excited for us to recap because I then want to hear your point of view and moreover where you land on the kink spectrum. I am so excited to introduce our guests today, Erica Hart and Janet Hardy. Erica Hart is a Black queer femme activist, writer, and award-winning sexuality educator. She runs a workshop on BDSM and kink and hosts the podcast called Hood Rat to Head Rap. Ooh, I like that name. A decolonized podcast for lovers on the margins. Wow. That's a title, isn't it? Janet Hardy is a sex educator and the co-author of The Ethical Slut, a practical guide to polyamory, open relationships, and other adventures. I... I'm really excited to jump into this conversation today uh, with Janet Hardy and Erica Hart. If you both could please introduce yourself, I would love to hear both of your um, intros, if you will. Sure, I'll go first. I'm Janet. Um, Let's see, I'm 67 years old, bi, genderqueer, kinky, poly in principle, if not in practice. I'm working on my 13th book right now. The best known is, of course, The Ethical Slut that I co-authored with Dossie Easton, but I've written extensively about kink as well. And I also founded Greenery Press, which has published a great many of the best known books um, about uh, alternative sexualities of various kinds. I live in Eugene, Oregon with my genderqueer spouse. 
Hi, my name is Erica Hart. Um, my pronouns are she and they. I am a Black queer non-binary femme. I'm also a breast cancer survivor and have been a sexuality educator for the past 10 years, teaching elementary, middle, high school, and the collegiate level. Um, I would say my focus is, you know, talking about the freedoms that exist within pleasure, um, but especially from an anti-racist liberatory framework is where my work focuses. So that's a little bit of who I am. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And thank you both. Um, so many, so many dynamic avenues here. And like I said, the kind of genesis for, for this conversation um, was really rooted in some of my own personal questions and experiences. I always described myself as vanilla extract because I like missionary. I like basic sex and I like it with people that I have some sort of human connection with. Like that to me has always been at the fore of my deepest desires. That is what fundamentally turns me on. I always felt kind of shameful that I didn't have more experiences or more pleasures or more interests to kind of list um, and express. But then what I realized is that I didn't want to be the initiator of that exploration, that I was really, I was personally very excited by someone presenting opportunities and being able to say, yes, no, maybe so, what have you. And I realized that those opportunities weren't actually happening because it was either a hell no or a hell yes. And then that was kind of, there was no sort of middle area for me personally. I feel like kinks, preferences, sexual desire, what have you, has become a pretty scary four-letter word and or, you know, also kind of oppressive in, in certain forms. And so kind of just wanting to hear what your personal definitions of that word is and then also what you think um, has happened in terms of the human translation of it or the lived experience of that word. In my experience, um, the people who call themselves kinky are usually, not always, but usually people who have felt the need to seek out greater kink community, uh, either because their partner is searching or because there are skills they want to acquire or because they feel like they lack people to talk to about their desires. Um, for every one of those, and I'm one of them, there's probably 20 people out there who are happily spanking and tying up and whatnot in their private beds, in their private bedrooms, and who never feel the need to, to label themselves as kinky. It's just what they like to do in bed. So part of the trouble with something like kinky is... It can mean everything from, yeah, we keep some bath, bathrobe sashes next to the headboard in case one of us feels like getting tied up that night, to I am staging these enormous production numbers with suspension bondage and leather and 14 people standing by to spot, and, and it's all kinky. Kink is kind of defined by what it isn't, which is always a problem. If it is not normative genital sex, then we call it kinky whether that's fetish, whether that's pain play, whether that's bondage. So one of the very best questions to ask in whatever realm of sexuality you move in is, what exactly do you mean by that? 
That is a terrific question always. When someone says I'm ethically non-monogamous, when someone says I'm kinky, when someone says I'm a fetishist, what do you mean by that? How important it is, is it to you? Can you get off without it? Uh, how flexible are you in your desires? What are you willing to do if someone else wants to do it? All of those things, that's how you get down to defining what you really want. Uh, just saying I'm kinky or I'm queer or I'm whatever, it's not going to get you very far. It might get you in the door of the right party, but once you're in there, you've got to do better than that. Erica, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I say that I'm kinky, especially in public space, on social media. I talk about it because Black people have been silenced and kept out of many kink spaces, even just just blatant anti-Blackness and kink. Um, It's something that you know, a space that I really enjoy and I really enjoy with other Black people. And I know so many Black folks that are kinky that I find it necessary to, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink, hey, I'm kinky, like let people know (laughs) so that they feel the freedom to say it too or ask more questions. You know, like Janet said, like, what do you mean by that? Okay, great. Now we get to talk about that more. And for myself, like I just, I teach at a lot of universities And uh, high schools, I wish when I was in high school or in college that I saw a Black person and they were like, I'm kinky. So I could ask more questions. Oh, that spanking that I got when I was a kid, I really enjoyed it. And now that makes sense. Great. Like, (laughs) I... I would have loved to have that, you know, but I just kept thinking like that is white people shit. And, to, you know, I have the privilege of doing this work. So I'm for for research purposes, I have to, you know, explore these things and understand what's present. So I really got to find myself through that. And I think, too, as a uh, person that's disabled, living with a chronic illness, I really gained new insights about my body and reclaimed my own pain through kink. So I really looked to Mm -hmm. kink as a form of healing, um, considering, you know, having a double mastectomy and going through chemotherapy and feeling like I was out of control to go and be actively submissive and receive pain on my terms was incredibly powerful. Um, I credit kink for, you know, essentially regaining my sense of sexual self, honestly, And I think it's necessary to say, yes, I'm kinky. Um, And if people have more questions about that, I think that's where the magic lies, um, is to talk more about that. Yeah, I tell people, if if you can afford to be out, I mean, I don't encourage people to be out about their desires if they are high school principals or ministers, uh, unless they are fortunate. But if you can afford to be out, please be out, because the more of us that are out here flying our freak flag, as we used to say, um, the more people will recognize that we are actually pretty swell people, that we take good care of our kids and we mow our lawns regularly and we contribute to our favorite charities and we're generally people who do good stuff um, instead of being weird monsters. So people like Erica, people like me, people like all of us who get out there in the world and are out with our desires and our kinks, we are helping build a world that's safer for the people who come after us. Eric, how would you articulate kind of what Janet said, but in relation to the black community? So what is actually that? What is that kind of systemic hesitation or that cultural hesitation to either explore and or to be forthright about that kind of, you know, those sexual desires, that interest, that community? I think that, you know, as 
colonized peoples, there's this expectation that we be pure and be in in line with purity laws and to truly be um, prudish um, because that is what we've been, you know, taught even inside of gender that that is what white womanhood is. That is what a man is. A man mm. is somebody, yes, they're, they're sexual promiscuous, but they still take care of their family and they have sex with their, you know, wife on the weekends, right? And that's it. And I feel like Black people have been related to as people who are sexual aggressors, people who are promiscuous, people who um, are always desiring of sex in, in, in any way that it, it will be given to us. So I think that there is a fear that will be related to as like something is further wrong with us than already has already been assumed. Uh, And I think that's the fear. And I also think, you know, our country is founded on a lack of consent, right? Like the transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade, the genocide of indigenous peoples, that is all lack of consent to walk into a space. But the ways in which we talk about kink and like mainstream doesn't necessarily make you think that, you know, Rihanna is talking about whips and chains and things like that. The song doesn't also talk about consent, Right. I don't think that many people across the board, black, white, whoever, know that kink is literally where consent is happening all the time. People will talk about sex and they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Consent is sexy. But kink, consent is forward. Right. That is the main thing. And I think there's a fear that consent won't be considered or you know, if you are a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, do you really want somebody hitting you? Right. Like all of these things consensually, like all of these things live in our bodies. Right. And we're thinking about that. So I think sometimes that may be the fear of engaging in kink, not understanding that it looks a whole many ways. Right. It doesn't have to be spanking. It doesn't have to be being suspended. Right. It doesn't have to be anything that you're not consensually wanting to do. What what makes it even more complicated, I think, is that many, perhaps most kinky people have fantasies about non-consent. We all have grown up in a world where a lot of eroticized non-consent is floating around us. We learn how to get ourselves off looking at pictures of, or movies now or whatever, of non-consent. And so I think what kink as an organizing principle actually is, is the firewall we build between those non-consensual fantasies and our consensual realities. All the negotiation we do, all the care we take with safety, that's all the firewall. That's hard for an outsider to see. Sometimes it's hard for us to see. That's really fascinating. Something I see coming in from people who are not savvy about kink is... A belief that, yeah, sure, you you talk about consent and you do consent when people are looking, but we know you don't really want to do consent. Uh, And when someone's not looking, that's going to turn itself around. And all I can say about that is it doesn't tend to happen twice with the same person. And if you are a person who is abusing consent, you're going to be gone at minimum. Where does the exploration start. And I think it takes us all the way back to the jump um, from the top of our conversation here is like, you know, if you're sorting through your own identity, if you're trying to define sexuality, you're trying to define your own sense of empowerment, but like, how do you know what's for you and what isn't? And where where are those thresholds? And what does it look like to kind of start dipping your toe and or, you know, releasing yourself from the shame? Or like, what is that process? And, and how does one kind of start to 
go on that journey should it be of interest? I think a really good tool created by kink communities is a yes, no, maybe list. Um, and Giovanna, I love that you said uh, there are vanilla extract ones, um, if you will, where they begin with <laughs> kissing, cuddling, and then French kiss, and then all the way to more explicit things. But I think mm-hmm. that that's a really good thing to do with somebody that you're interested in or somebody that, you know, you're interested in um, dating, like whatever the relationship is going to look like, but doing it when you are, quote unquote, in vanilla space, like you're not aroused, the candles are not lit, like all of those things will truly have me signing up for things that I never, having sex while skydiving, I truly will do that if I'm aroused, right? Like, (laughs) yes, sign me up, sign me up. I literally, I mean, I have sex with people that I would otherwise never talk to because of that. So yes. Exactly. So you want to fill it out when you are not aroused, uh, maybe like in the middle of the day in a cafe, maybe in a (laughs) library or something. But then I'm like, expo- like I'm turned on in public now. This is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> that's maybe that's my kink, dude. <laughs> yeah, maybe yes. that's your kink. Whatever right. isn't your kink, do it there. <laughs> so those are really great tools. You can find them. They're for free online. There's many different versions. So highly recommend if you, period, not just for kink, but there, there are some specifically for kink. I think a lot of people who are new in the community, the kink community for sure, and probably some of the other alt text communities we've, we've discussed today, they spend years sort of building up their desires and fantasies, and then they get a little carried away early on and get themselves into trouble. I see it over and over and over again, often with the help of someone who is who does not have their best interests at heart and who is promising them something out of Fifty Shades or Story of O or whatever their favorite smut is. Um, And so they leap in with both feet and they drown. Some of them come back from it. Some of them just run like rabbits and I don't blame them um, and don't come back. So kink is not monolithic. You can do a little, you can do a lot, you can try something and stop in the middle if it isn't what you thought it would be and try something else. Um, You're not going to die tomorrow, I'm pretty sure. You have plenty of life left to explore all these possibilities, interests, your partner's interests, um, and you can do them one at a time. In fact, it's general kink education to suggest one new thing at a time, because that way if something does go haywire, you know what caused it and you can fix it. On the other hand, if you've tried eight new things in one session and it winds up going pear-shaped, how do you begin to tease that apart and come out with what you think might work better? So slow, 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 slow. And I know that's not what your fantasies look like. Mine didn't either, but you do have to go slow. I read a memoir recently, I'm forgetting the title, which I shouldn't, but it was by Tracy Clark Flores, and it was about her journey through a sexuality that was heavily, heavily informed by porn. Um, She was really eroticized to the shame, the humiliation, the danger that you see in porn. And her journey toward trying to tease that apart and find out what an authentic sexuality not informed by porn might look like for her. And there's nothing wrong with having desires based on something you saw in porn, but it can be awfully easy to mold yourself, particularly younger women, I think, to cultural expectations of what a woman is supposed to be and want. And how do you get past that and on into something that you actually are and want? 
I, I grew up before porn was widely available. Uh, I didn't get my first home computer till my late 20s. And so my sexuality was all informed around things like swashbuckler movies with whipping scenes in them. And it's much harder now. I, I have great sympathy to people who are growing up in a world where there is no good sex education and tons of porn. How do you figure out what you want in a world like that? Wow, what an amazing conversation. So, Gigi, what do you think is your biggest takeaway for the listeners? Yeah. You know what was really interesting for me, and this happened at the very top of the conversation, and it was something that Janet said that I thought was so poignant and actually sort of, I guess, answered our questions. My question was that was that they said the people who call themselves kinky are usually not always because they are the people who have felt this like greater need to prescribe themselves something and to say these things. And so it is interesting that as a community, when perhaps you're like searching for ways to define yourself or fit in, that something like this four letter word would be a vehicle for that when it actually doesn't really describe your desires. Right. It doesn't really say much. No, it doesn't. But it's also like, you know, the people like who say they're rich but aren't. It's like actions speak louder than words. Like if you're about, you know, if you bring out your handcuffs and your flogger, like you don't need to tell me that you're kinky. Right. You know? (laughs) You just told me. Correct. You just, not only did you tell me, but you're willing to show me. Um, And so I thought that that was just really poignant in that the kink community isn't so wedded to these terms. They just want to make sure that people are safe. And that's also the other thing that was just so eye-opening for me is that everything, which obviously this makes sense, but everything in the kink community is grounded on the basis of consent. Mm -hmm. They are the most communicative group of humans in any sexual dynamic because everything is being talked about. Do you like this? Do you like that? How does that feel? How does that not feel? Like, imagine what that does to build community, but also how that perhaps in theory, like amplifies pleasure. Right. And what we also talked a lot about is this idea of, you know, from Erica's point of view about the sort of limited nature of Black humans in this quote unquote kink space. And so for her, she has really designed her sort of public persona, her social presence around being a very, you know, present Black voice. And she says that, you know, that not only have our Black humans not in those spaces, but historically they've been silenced and removed from those environments. And so this is also kind of an act of reclamation or an act of saying like, no, 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 we can... We are all in this space because sex is freaking universal. Yeah, and it's freedom. It is. For you and for myself, we do have either interests or limitations. So how do you think of that? And like, have you ever been in a situation where someone was like, oh, hell no, that's way too kinky for me? Or I'm sorry, I don't like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I've had, and not a, not a lot I've had a couple of lovers that were just, like, open. 
There was not anything that we couldn't do. There was complete freedom, you know. And then I've had some where, you know, they've done what they've done. And and intimacy is very soft and sensual and connection. And, you know, like my partner at this point in my life, right, like who I'm so connected to and so devoted to, intimacy and kinkiness just looks different in this relationship. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... For me, it's relative because I'm, I'm a person who's who's open. I can go left. I can go right. If I'm in it and feeling it, even if we're just making out, if we're just walking outside, if we're just, you know, laying in the bed sleep, it's beautiful for me because all of those things are intimate connections. You know what I'm saying? But that's because of the place that I am in my life. You know, if you would have asked me this maybe six months ago or a year ago, I probably would have had a different answer. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that there's so much fluidity. Kink can be vanilla sex. It can. Right, like with these little things added to it that are designed for you by you. Mm Mm-hmm. It's relative. I think we would do ourselves a service to just do what the hell we want to do and fuck what we saw or heard or read. Whatever you want it to be is what it can be. Because if if you choose that word or if you choose whatever it is that you choose, do that shit and enjoy it. Seems like we're on the same page, unsurprising. But I'm so excited to get further into the depths of my conversation with Janet and Erica. And I know that we're going to just continue to unpack a lot of amazing things. And we actually start talking about the boundaries of desire in this next episode, Mm. which let me tell you, I think that's really important. And I do a lot of uh, self-reflection. So I'm excited to share that with you, Bibi, of course, but of course with you, our listeners. So uh, please make sure to join us next week for a follow-up episode um, from our conversation with Janet and Erica. Thanks for listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast by The Honey Pot Company made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, B. Dixon. And I'm your co-host, Javon Alfieri. We're so grateful to have you here. We love you. Mean it. Thoughts and experiences recounted in this episode are hosts' own. Our producers are Alana Herlins and Nathan Tower. Laura Boyman is our associate producer. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and mixer. A major thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. 